Okay, back to Matthew just for a few moments tonight, chapter 5 and verse 13. I have all this music up here, but you don't want me to sing. (laughs) But if you can stand when you find that one verse again, we're not going to be there, but just momentarily. Matthew chapter 5, with the idea if you lose your savor, you lose your worth. Is that important? I mean, you don't really want someone to come and say to you if they're being an honest person, you know, you're worthless. That's like Hank the cow dog telling Drover, you know. (laughs) And uh, do we have graduate work people here with Hank the cow dog experience? Well, I know I had a good time last year, you know, going to the Bill Rice Ranch with all the guys in the van. That was great. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, if you lose your savor, you lose your worth. Now, you can just take that and mention it if you want to, but it's in the book. Right. And we're talking about eternal stuff here. And we're not talking about things we don't have the ability to do. It's something we can do and should in many ways as a Christian to be natural for right. us to do rather than something we have to work at all that hard. Verse 13, ye are the salt of the earth. And remember, how to have the conjunction would be nice if you just keep on moving. You're the salt of the earth. Everything's going good. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, then the question is, how shall it be salted? Wherewith shall it be salted? That's worth answering (laughs) if you want to be serious about the word of God. And it goes on to say, it's thenceforth, and I don't like this part. I wish they could use a different sentence, good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden underfoot of men. But it is true, it cannot be used. It accomplishes nothing if it doesn't do what it was made and designed uh, to do. Father, thank you for the privilege we have to be back together tonight and pray that you would illumine our hearts and minds to understand Bible truth as we look at this thought just one more time. Lord, I realize I never really have the ability to rightly always divide the word of truth and I go back and look at it again later and I see new nuggets in different places. What an amazing book it is and down through the years of our life from the time we were a young person and for me getting saved at 14 and then listening to sermons and listening to songs and talking to people and what a great journey it has been. So I pray that tonight it will be important to us to learn from the Word of God and especially this part, especially since some of these commentators have made some major comments about its importance and they would exercise the opportunity to learn it and follow it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I want to bring to your thinking just a little bit again here is first of all, it's not saying the problem is there's not enough salt. It's not saying that. It's not saying that the problem is the wrong distribution of salt. We could talk about the missionaries not getting to where they need to go or whatever the case, but that is not the primary issue here we're dealing with. And other things could be brought up that we could think about, but the point is it's the condition of the salt. And that the salt has lost 
its savor. So as I'd studied this down through the years, you know how it is, you hear somebody preach a sermon, you pick up a nugget, I hope you do that and write those things down someplace. Uh, maybe the Lord will just give it to you from your reading and so forth, a lot of things. But when you have those nuggets, write them down because you never know when you can use them again later on. And so it was after I'd been through this several times and I don't know, I haven't seen anybody else preach this sermon this way and so maybe it's heresy, I don't know. Probably wouldn't be the first thing that I dealt with. It was probably heresy, but anyway, <laughs> we'll look at it. But we're going to move over to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. So when we get to Genesis chapter 12, we're going to look at the lives of uh, two men. Those of you that have been saved very long when I mention their name, you're going to recognize it. One of them's name was Abraham. What can you do with the Old Testament without Abraham? And of course his family. But the other person besides Abraham is Lot. Now I'm not going to take time to go to a lot of other verses, but later on if you want to go to 2 Peter chapter 2, like verses 7 and 8, the New Testament will make it plain that in New Testament terms, Lot was a saved person, referred to as a, a righteous, that righteous man of God, and that's even, and then when you look at Lot, that's a little difficult to process, you know, kind of just for me, but I'm just saying it's the example we need for the situation with assault because we find two men that are both chronologically and geographically going down through time together, just one here and one right over here, and they're going to the same places to a great degree, and they have the same outlook to a great degree, but uh, they handle things in a different way. What better way could we see the problem with salt that's lost its saltiness and one that it hasn't? Yeah. Right. And maybe make some kind of application from that. Well, in verse, or chapter 12 of Genesis, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Abraham, Abram, Get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. These are some great words. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. I mean... This is good stuff. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him and Lot went with him and Abram was 70 and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Well, one of the first things you could probably say right here and you can maybe see that Abraham has an ear for God. He was listening already been listening part of his life. And we need to ask ourselves sometimes, do we have an ear for God? Are we anxious to hear that still small voice that the Bible talks about? Yes, sir. Uh, if we're going to hear from anybody, we ought to want to hear from God. Amen. Yeah. And I don't think that God wants to make it hard for us. I believe many times he probably is trying to get our attention and maybe he does not get it. So I remember reading a story about a couple of Okies. One of those was an Indian. We have a lot of Indians in Oklahoma. 
And one of those, I'm just going to say a white guy, just to kind of separate those out just a little bit. Uh, they had grown up together and uh, had been buddies for a long time and actually all went off to college and did good. And so the white guy just always oh, had in his mind, I am going to the Big Apple. I'm going to New York City and I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to live good. The Indian had no uh, desire at all to go to New York City, so I've decided I'm an Indian. <laughs> Evidently, because that's not one of my... I've been there several times, but I kind of like uh, the countryside and things like that as much as possible. So anyway, they graduated from college and they have their jobs and so forth. And sure enough, the young man went up to New York City and he did good. And as far as I know, maybe he was a fine young man. I, I don't have any idea. But he said, I got to get my Indian friend up here. Uh, all the traffic and everything taking place will blow his mind. So he talked him into flying up there, and he did, and so they got together, and they're walking down the sidewalk, and their sidewalks are bigger than some of our streets, because there's a ton of people out there all the time. And he's having to elevate his voice and talk to the Indian because of all the traffic and buses, and did you know that everybody in New York has a horn? If you've been there, you know it. And so he's raising his voice, and so they're walking along and just, you know, two buddies and everything like that. And finally, after they walked for a moment, the Indian said, I hear a cricket. <laughs> I love India. <laughs> and the other guy said, you don't hear no cricket, you know, bad grammar and all that. You don't hear no cricket. I mean, we can't hardly hear each other. We've got to elevate our voice, and you hear a cricket? I hear a cricket. He said, well, if you hear a cricket, where is it? So he turns around and goes back down the sidewalk just a little bit, turned in a little alleyway and reached up on the windowsill, pulls off a cricket. And uh, white guy said, how did you hear that cricket with all this noise? The Indian reached in his pocket and got a fistful of change and dropped it on the sidewalk and heads turned for half a block. And the Indian said, you hear what you want to hear. That's true. Very true. Now, please listen. This is not my idea. I'm telling you, God talks. He's not silent. And if you never felt like God's talked to you about anything, and I'm not, I can't, you say, he's got a bait voice or a tenor. He doesn't do it that way but between his word and between his spirit and everything. God does communicate. Right. You talk to people who has been saved very long and you can tell in their life they're close to the Lord, then they will tell you God communicates. Yes. He wants to communicate just like we do with our children. So let me say this, that Abraham had an ear for God. Would you think for a moment whether you have an ear for God and say, well, this is the first time I've heard about it like that. Well, I understand that. We all hear about things in the Bible for the first time. We all do. But once we do, and I'm thinking, God's talking to somebody and they're hearing him, I want to hear it. Because it's more important that I find out what he says than anybody else said anything. So we can see a difference in salt. Because one of them's got a ear for God, as best we can tell, the other one doesn't. Well, just a few verses pass, and you get up here to verse 7, the same chapter. And the Lord appeared unto Abram. Uh, he appeared to Abram. So that, I, that's God's business. And said, 
Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Well, you know what altars are for, don't you? I mean, an altar is a place for sacrifice and for worship. Because you don't get very far down to what, chapter 22, and Abraham's going to take Isaac up on the mountain and offer him up and so forth. So that's what they're for. And Abraham is doing it. He, he's God from God that God wants his people to worship him. Yes. And so he doesn't have a church that has places to kneel. So he goes out there someplace. I don't know if he puts rocks together or logs together. It doesn't make any difference. The point is he built an altar and altars are for two things, worship and sacrifice. Right. Yes, sir. Yeah. And scripture says he built an altar there to the Lord that appeared unto him. Well, he wasn't there very long. Look at verse 8. I mean, this is the next verse. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. I mean, it, to him, it's so important to have a connection with God that wherever he moves, if there's no altar, he's going to build an altar. Now, we're talking about two kinds of salt. Did you notice Lot is real silent here? He's not any less the person of God that he was, except that for some reason, some way, his salt is having trouble as far as being everything that maybe it ought to be. Now you get to chapter 13. I think all of you probably be familiar with chapter 13. And now, you know, Abraham and Lot are together. It says in verse 2, we'll just move quickly Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. He jumped down to verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abraham, had flocks and herds and so forth. And then if you read a couple more verses, you found out that their herds had grown so much, there's hardly enough grass to take care of all their cattle and all the kind of livestock they had. And, and they begin to have trouble between their herdsmen because, I mean, they're having it good. Now, I'm just going to say to you right now, the reason Lot was having it good because he was on Abraham's coattails. You understand what I mean by that? Abraham is doing what God called him to do and God is blessing him and so Lot's following along and he is benefiting by it. It's okay with me for him to benefit by it. But the whole time we look at this story, you're going to see the difference in Abraham and Lot. In fact, is pretty soon they say, you know, actually if anybody's going to correct this problem, Lot should have done it. <laughs> he just following Abraham, but he didn't. It was the leader, Abraham, who had the connection with God that said, Lot, we don't need to be struggling over this. Yes. Uh, you pick what part of the land you want and you can take it. You can have the best. You can, pick, you can be first in the pick. And when you pick it, then I'll get out of the way. Now, I'm just making it pretty quick so you can see exactly what it does. It says in verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan that it was well watered. You need that when you have animals, yeah. before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gore, even as the garden of the Lord and the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zoar, Lot shows him all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves to the one from the other. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked. 
and sinners before the Lord. Lots of saved men. You say, he wouldn't do that. Don't tell me that. You've known people that probably have trusted Christ, but for whatever reason, they got off track. And it's sad. And what really is sad, what usually eventually happens to their family. Things like that that take place. I've just never seen anything that makes me really understand chapter 5, verse 13 of Matthew and being salt that becomes corrupted. That's what's happening to Lot. He's becoming corrupted. So he sees all these things. And of course, you know, uh, Abraham moves in verse 18. We can see exactly where he went. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in the Hebron and built there an altar Man, he's an altar-building dude, isn't he? No matter where he goes, God is first. He's going to build an altar. The difference here is that Lot had a horizontal look because he's looking at all the well-watered plains and all of that, and you know. But Abraham had a vertical view, and uh, he he was looking up and was talking with the Lord about all of these things. So maybe you can already see some differences as they're making their way in time, geographically, making their way up across the country and so forth. And can you see that probably there's going to be some difficulties down the road if this stays the way it is? So we get to chapter 14, and I don't want to spend much time here, but we have four or five kings up north, and Chedalimer, I just call him Chad. That's a long name, you know. <laughs> Chattelemer and his four buddies, they look at what's going on down at Sodom and Gomorrah and basically they just say they don't really have maybe an army. They don't necessarily have fences, all these things. They're just kind of like sleepy people. We go down and take everything they've got and of course Lot is down there and so they did go down and do that. Look at verse 11 of chapter 14. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way, verse 12, and they took Lot. You know, um, I have known some Christians that seem to lower their standards in order to fit somebody else so that maybe they could help them, and and I I honor that in a certain way in my heart, in my mind. Um, But it doesn't always mean that you're helping. Just, in other words, your heart's right. And uh, feel like, but my, I remember my mother told me when I was just a little boy, and I, and it was so simple that anybody could understand it. And he said, "Now, now, son, if you take a, a barrel of uh, good apples and they're really good, and you take one rotten apple and put it in there, all those good apples can't make the rotten apple good again. Yeah, it right. go the other way." Well, I didn't really comprehend all that back then, but I know for a fact now that's exactly what takes place, and. And that's exactly what happens. So, anyway, he's carried away captive. So what is he going to do now? I mean, his family and everybody's taken captive. Now, verse 13, though, and there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew. <laughs> uh, he dwelt in a plain of Mamre. You know, remember 
Remember, Lot is down here with all the nightlife and all the excitement and so forth, and Abraham is out here in the plains of memory, and if you check that, there's not any cities or anything out there, so he's out here with the plains and with his servants and with his family and with all his cattle and everything and with the stars and God. Great place to be. You say, well, I think I'd like the nightlife. Well, you just keep following it and see what takes place. And it's not a good thing that does take place. But anyway, so now he's, uh, he's in bad trouble and there's not anything he can do about it. And someone escapes, it says in verse 13, and they tell Abram, the Hebrew, because he dwelt in a plane of memory and so forth. And so, and I'll just kind of, Quickly, but Abraham now is he's he's getting along pretty good, and he's got quite a few servants, you know, that are really working for him. And uh, you know what Abraham could have said, Lot, you made your bed, buddy. Crawl up in there and sleep in it. Yeah. Now you'd had to write, because he's already had grief. He's already given him the best land, helped him in every way he can, let him follow him, and he's already wealthy because of Abraham. And now he's got himself in trouble. But we find out that Abram had been doing too bad either. As a matter of fact, he had 318 (laughs) employees. If you got a business like that, you probably ain't doing too bad. (laughs) Abram was doing good. Now, I can't say but too much, but I just want to get it briefly. I did check several commentaries on this and Based on geographical locations and things, uh, so the commentator said they didn't walk down there to do this and get lot out. He said they did that on cattle, uh, camels. Have you ever looked at a camel real close? <laughs> They're about as ugly as anything you've ever seen. As a matter of fact, when I was going to a Southern Baptist Seminary, you know, get graffiti, I'm, I'm, don't worry, in the boys' bathroom in there, and one of the guys had written, a camel is a horse put together by a Baptist committee. <laughs> I don't know if you've been close to a camel, but you can smell them before you can see them. Their teeth are as yellow and yellowish green, slobbering all the time. And what I didn't know about camels that I learned from reading about it is they're a little bit like a donkey. You know, a donkey, oh, he can make the sound. A camel can do that about 20 times as loud. (laughs) And as the story goes, he takes these 318, whatever it is, and he comes down there at midnight, and uh, every one of these Hebrews probably beating one of those camels and their hee-hawing and everything and scared everybody to death. They didn't have to fire a gun. (laughs) So he rescues Lot and everybody else. I'd like to see that. When we get to heaven, won't some of those reruns be good stuff? That's going to be good. So he even rescues the head sodomite. That's, not, that's pretty kind and gracious too because he, he was in prison as well. I mean, he was captive. One thing you can say about it, this is verse 21. And the king of Sodom, be the head sodomite, said unto Abram, Give me the persons and you take the goods, you take the money, you take all the stuff. Abram, in verse 22, I like him, said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, 
the possessor of heaven and earth. What are you going to give me when my God possesses heaven and earth? Verse 23 says, I will not take from you so much as a thread or a shoe latchet lest you say you're the one that made Abraham rich because God made me rich. Everything I have that's worthwhile came from God. Can you see much difference in real salt and salt that's not, that's lost its savor? Remember, these are two of God's men. But my soul and Lot doesn't seem to be learning a whole lot so far. And yet they're going together. Chances are, you just like me, have had friends in years gone by. Seemed like they started to serve the Lord and dropped off. Whatever the case, it's sad. You can't always stop it from happening. We ought to do everything we can to win them back. But doesn't mean that'll ever take place. Well, then uh, time moves on, and we're going to be over to verse 18, chapter 18. Got a couple more here, scriptures to look at. So in chapter 18 of Genesis, a lot appeared unto Abram in the plains of memory. Remember, that's where he was, getting out of the way from Sodom and Gomorrah. And he was sitting in this tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and saw three men who stood there, and he bowed himself to the ground, and by the way, the word bowed here is the same word in the Hebrew that's translated worship. Yep. He worshiped them yes, sir. on his face before them. And what we have here are two angels and a theophanies. Christ is one of them, and we don't have time to go look at all that, but you can do that easily yourself by reading all the things that takes place. And, and so now they're making contact again. And Abram doesn't have the timetable on all the things that God's going to do, but this is really interesting to me. So now God is, he is going to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. He's tired of it. And all the bad things they do to other people and how they influence, he's getting tired of it. You can push God, but once you push him past his limit, it's not good. He's long-suffering. You can see that by all the stuff that takes place here. So he's going to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. And this amazes me, Pastor. Look at verse 17. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Are you understand what's going on here? God's talking to Abraham as if that was just himself or another God or something like that. In other words, Abraham doesn't have to know what God's going to do. God can do anything he wants to do, but God respects him so much because of his saltiness. He said, I'm not going to go down and do this without talking to Abraham about it. Wow. He wants Abraham to know. That's the reason we have prophecy. Because God wants us to know. He's not the true trying to do all these things in secret. When we see things like this, I'm just saying, Lord, I could be more like Abraham. Verse 17, shall I hide from Abram the things which I do? And then look at verse 19. For I know him. Let me tell you this thought. What God knows about you may have a lot to do with how much he'll let you know about him. Are you processing? Because God doesn't have to share anything with us. 
He's the creator. He's all of it. But in verse 19, he says, for I know him. So he's telling him all about it. He, and here's, here's the thing that God really sees, verse 19. He will command his children and his household after him. This is a great problem in America and a great problem in Christianity. Men, you're the leader of the home. And God has expectations and he's not going to lower them. And eternity's out there. I'm not saying it's easy to do. And I pretty will guarantee that none of us men will ever do it all right and not make any mistakes. But the point is that we try to do the best we can and, yes. and thank God for godly wives that help us with these things as well. Yeah. He will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. There's some great thoughts. Did you know that uh, the family is real big in the Bible? The three-generation principle is real big in the Bible because you're always hearing about, you know, Abraham, you know, the first three, Abraham, Lot, and Jacob, and whatever, not Abraham, a lot, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and those three. And then there was Joseph. Now, Joseph might have been a little bit sharper than the other three. I'm just bringing out the point of the three-generation principle. Or you read children's children are the crown of old men, three generations. Yes, in our lives, we can have a digital family, uh, maybe, or an analog family. No difference in analog and digital. Most of us would know. I'm surprised that I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. Analog is cassette tapes. Remember, you'd have those in your church and the quartet sings and it was good and someone says, let me borrow that tape you got. And so they copy it but it's got a hiss in it. And somebody gets a second generation and they make a third one and it's not worth listening to. That's an analog family. Our digital, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our David, Solomon, and Rehoboam. We're not just responsible for our life. We're responsible for our sons and our daughters. The Bible makes it plain we're to raise a godly seed. Yes. And it will probably be the greatest challenge you'll ever have in your life. Yes. Don't think I'm just saying, oh, yeah, that's the, it is not easy to do. Satan hates it. Yes. He'll do anything to keep that from being accomplished. Well, we keep moving on here. We get down towards the bottom of chapter 18. Verse 23, and this will be a part you're probably fairly familiar with. Huh, you know, somewhere in this great book, you, have you read, you reap what you sow? Did you notice right up front that Abraham had an ear for God? Now you're going to see that turn around. And he has God's ear. You're going to need God's ear someday. When the doctors can't do it and money can't do it and nobody but him can do it. 
Now look what it's, verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Because God said, I'm tired of a Sodom and Gomorrah. But now he's saying, you know, basically he's saying, if I can find X number here that are salty salt. Peradventure there be 50 righteous within the city. Wilt thou all destroy, spare the place for the 50 righteous are therein? Uh, that be far from thee to do that after this manner and so forth. And God says, I'll do it. So I'm just going to move through that quickly for 50. I'll do it. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50, I'll spare it. And you know what he does. It goes on down to 40 and he's down to 35 and then he's down to 30. And every time he brings it up, God said, I'll do it. And finally, he gets down to 10. And you can tell he knows he's getting close because he basically says, Lord, it, just listen one more time. I won't, I won't say anything else. This is a big place. Will you spare it for 10? He said, I will. I'll spare it for 10. Well, then we'll come back to that just in a moment here, but you get to chapter 19 which I think I'd like to tear out of my Bible yes. two men walking side by side we'll say Christian men but maybe that wouldn't fit but men that have made a decision for God and saved one here one there one's doing right and the other one's not how, how? How far down can a man go that has really made a profession of faith? How far down can he go? This is sad. I, I wish it wasn't in the book, preacher. But it is in the book. So in uh, chapter 19, there, there come two angels. Now remember there were three before and the Lord was with them and then he separated from the two angels. Chapter 19, the two angels come to Sodom at even and Lot sat in the gate. You know what it means with Lot sitting in the gate? It means he was a person of affluence. He, he, he could order things around. In other words, he wasn't interested in being any place, I guess, with God that much, but he was really interested in just being somebody in the world. For God's sake, the world is going to disappear someday. And Lot sat in the gate. And uh, these two men come, and of course, uh, he doesn't know who they are. <laughs> They're angels. They look like human beings, so he doesn't know what to do with them. And he said, where are you going to stay tonight? And I'm just trying to get through this quickly. Well, we're going to stay out here in the street. He said, no, you need to just come and stay in the house with me. And he said, no, we're going to stay in the street. We're okay. We're going to stay out here in the street. This goes back and forth for a while. And finally he said, you cannot stay in the street because he knew what these people were like. But in verse 4, they did go into his house, but before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, young and old, and I called out Lot and so forth, you know, and where are these men that came into you tonight? Send them out here so that we can know them. That's a pretty intimate term in the Bible when you look at the original. This is what I can't believe, is verse 8. Okay, dads, if you're not salty salt, please think about the fact, if you don't fix that, someday you may do something you'll regret for eternity, right. which Lot will do. Yes, right. And Lot says, 
I've got two daughters, precious daughters. I send them out, they're yours for the night. You say, I'd never do it. Lot would have said that one time. Don't tell me you don't know about even mothers and fathers selling their little children into sexual type slavery. You see, but, but those are, I don't know, I'm not a betting man, but I was, I put money here that some of those probably made a profession at one time. And it just kept going down. I don't know, but it's in the book. So if it could happen then, it could happen again. I think I know the heart of all the men sitting here. I think y'all be just like me. I want to say to anybody else in here, you think you're going to mess with our girls, you better not let me see you do it. Our women are important to us. And that should have been right there too. I mean, he should have tore that place up. I would rather just fall in the fight than do that. So then, you know, they strike them with blindness and so that took care of that because they couldn't find their way around. God's God. Verse 14 of the next chapter, is that the next chapter? Yeah, verse 19, yeah, chapter 19. Lot went out and spoke unto his son-in-laws. He evidently had two other daughters that had gotten married. Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Now look at the last sentence. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. He had maybe... Affluence, but he didn't have influence. It won't make any difference if we can have money and a home and a car and all the things and then not have the respect of our sons and our daughters and our wives because we've tried to live a godly life. In other words, it was a joke to them that they said it. Affluence, but no influence. I see that in families. Dads don't have it. Something's happened to it. And then his wife, verse 26, God said, get out of here and don't look back. But Mrs. Lot did, and she became a pillar of the very thing that God was trying to get them to be to begin with. And now it's, it's just like a rock, though. It's not a human being. Verse 29, and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God, this is amazing, God remembered Abraham. Uh, God, he's not there. <laughs> Lot is. I'm trying to say, God is still trying to help Lot and because of the godliness of Abraham, he's getting Lot out of there before he destroys a place. You don't realize that when we serve the Lord like we should and do what God wants us to do, not only does he take care of us, we don't have any idea how many other people we may influence and save their life because God did it. He did for a lot what he did. and Got him out of there because of Abraham. That's what he says in verse 29. In the midst, salty salt. Now has uh, delivered unsalty salt. 
So um, we're looking at the last part of this now. And so why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Why was that? It looks to me, if you get right down to it, God would have spared it for 10 righteous people, or shall we say it this way since we're borrowing from Matthew chapter 5? For 10 grains of salty salt, God would have spared that place. But their salt was corrupt. It was not. Now this is what I think. This is not what the book says. Maybe it does, but what I think. God been good to America. Everybody on this earth wants to live. You, I know we got our problems, but everybody out there wants to live here. That's the reason we can't keep our borders. Yeah. We've still got it better than anybody else. Yeah. Uh, we need to quit messing around with God and live like he told us to live and be an example to yes. everyone else. Amen. You know, maybe God's got his number of salty people he expects to be here before he just closes things down. I don't want to be that one that breaks that number. But I kind of look in the Bible, I think it's possible that's exactly the way it could be. So I'm thinking about it tonight. What about you and what about me? I, I, I wouldn't suggest anybody else wouldn't have a better spiritual life than me. I, you know, we're, we are who we are. We're people. But I don't want to be responsible for that. No, sir. I just don't. So we're about through here, and we're just going to have an invitation, and I don't know. But, oh, that we could all be clean, yes. salty, salt yes. for our families, for our church, for our country, for the people we work with. Oh, what a great place to reach people is at work. It's all through the Bible about doing those kinds of things. Let's all stand.